Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, welcome back gardeners. We are almost hitting gardening season, so we're so excited about that. That's gonna be wonderful. And so we are here to really get your gardening season kicked off. We're, we're doing it. Um, things have warmed up in Nebraska a little bit. Um, and you know, people I could tell wanted to get out there. I did see people mowing. Probably don't need to mow yet, <laughs> everybody. Um, but remember, false spring is not real. Don't don't start gardening. Don't start too early. But we're gonna. Our episode today is all about things you can you can start, but start inside. So it's gonna be just great. So I'm here with Sarah. Sarah's here today, and we have Kyle Martins with us. Kyle, do you want to tell them? Um, who you are? <laughs> sure. Uh, my name's Kyle. I'm with the Center for Resilience and Ag Working Landscapes, and I've been gardening, starting seed. Oh gosh, this probably is my ninth year. Um, so have learned a thing or two from some failed attempts. Yeah. And you have done this on some large scale, I think, for a home gardener. Yes. Um, I had rented a space from a local kind of food education nonprofit, Community Crops, which I can mention later. And I think the first one was really primitive. It was like maybe 30 by 30. I had built like a fence with bird netting, you know, really should uh, indicate where I started uh, at the ground level. And then that grew to an eighth of an acre, maybe by my fifth year. And then now um, I'm just doing it backyard, well, front yard and backyard and side yard too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the available space. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Shade dependent, of course. Yes, but. of course. Okay, awesome. Well, let's jump into it. So yeah, we're talking about inside seed starting, mostly vegetables. We don't really do vegetable talks. This is new for us, so we're glad we have Kyle because. People ask us questions. We don't know anything about vegetables. <laughs> well, welcome to the fold. Uh, it's really nice in here. Uh, yeah, vegetable uh, plant starting, really. I mean, it can span everything from herbs to uh, your warm seasons, your cool seasons, really depending on how uh, in-depth you want to get. And, of course, with most gardening things, um, take some nibbles before you uh, take the big, the big bite because there is a lot to manage, especially when it gets nice. You want to be outside. Uh, you'll be wherever your seeds are. So that typically can be a basement in the house. And um, when it gets nice, it's very difficult to want to stay down in the, you know, cool, dank basement. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk techniques and placement. But the first thing, um, Bob and I have been having a debate because we start seeds together every year in the greenhouse about what is, you know, what we wanted to start this year and what is even helpful to start ahead of time and what and we'd, that we'd rather just direct. So, so I'm curious how you make the decision and maybe share some of the things you choose to start as seedlings to transplant and what you found it just doesn't make a difference. You may as well just direct sow it in the garden. Okay, yeah. Um, it would be nice to know after we get done here uh, who ultimately wins this argument between you and Bob. Uh, I'd like to know. Okay, it's not a, it's, it's a, a debate. A spirited debate. Yeah, yeah uh, that's We're great. just sharing space and, and sharing transplants mostly, too. Mm -hmm. So we're like, oh, you know, that, that didn't work well for me this last year. Let's do it this one this year. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I've probably started on the bite off more you can chew uh, phase when I got into starting seeds inside. Um, I mean, you really can do just about anything. It'll say on your seed packet whether or not it likes its roots disturbed. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you're going to try and put it from a small container into a larger container, just transplant, that can create root disturbance into the garden itself can create root, root disturbance. So you'll see on the seed packet almost all the time, it'll say direct sow. So that should be a, a red flag. Uh, don't start that indoors. Um, and really what I've found over time is I try to start things that have a really slow germination rate where it could be weeks and things that ultimately need a prolonged growing season to mature. You know, in Nebraska, we're pretty fortunate. We have a long growing season, um, seems to get longer every year, uh, <laughs> minus some freezing here and there. But um, generally speaking, you can direct sow most things and still get a crop from it. So I've actually kind of probably scaled back from some what other people would be doing. And really the things that I start are onions, which that's a whole probably another conversation, uh, whether you should be using onion sets or seeds, uh, but onions, leeks, and celery. Celery is something that has um, a long season to maturity. Um, it's very slow to germinate. Um, and that's basically what I use seed starting for, is to give things a head start where they may be a little temperamental in the garden, uh, where they need consistent moisture, uh, but yeah, those are probably the earliest ones. And then the more common ones, and again, this is just to get a head start on production, are your tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. Um, is that Solanaceae, that, yeah. that family, I think? Um, nightshade family. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've done some other kind of cabbage cool season family as well. But again, I haven't really seen the benefit at the end of the season or when they come to maturity. I find better success direct sowing, less disturbance, less stress, and overall they seem to produce better. Yeah, that's how I make my choice too, is what if I wait for the garden, will it be three months before I get to eat it? So uh, I don't start peppers or tomatoes because I don't grow that many plants. Mm. So we found that the self-control to let the seedlings go instead of plant more plants than we need yeah. <laughs> is not worth just going to a quality garden center and picking out our four pepper plants for the year. Right. And we like too much variety. So we like a jalapeno and a bell pepper. And then we have five flats of seedlings for each one <laughs> that somebody has to make the choice to throw in the compost. So I made that choice. But otherwise, it's my herbs that I'm trying to like. I want them fresh right away because I'm hungry for spring. This year, I'm starting some lettuce because my plan is to move it out to the cold frame early and then I will continue to direct sow, you know, stages so that I have, I'm trying to just bump it earlier. Right. I don't know how well it'll go. Lettuce is hard to transplant sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, some of these things depend on um, what's the receptacle you're starting it in. Mm -hmm. If it has room to kind of get a little bit bigger, it's less likely to be stressed yeah. when you do that transplant. But um, yeah, there really aren't a whole lot of ways to go incorrectly about it if you know if you have an interest um with a few simple tools i mean you can do it seems like just about anything i've seen people doing sweet corn uh, oh, from seed i mean before. yeah if you're wanting it fast i guess i'd do it and just knowing when yeah. to transplant out into the garden um so yeah i think it's 
Just about, unless that direct sow warning is on the back yeah. of your seed packet. Uh, you can pretty much try anything. I was trying to think of like, what is one plant that would be absolutely silly to transplant? And the only thing I came up with was radishes and carrots. But I mm. think you still could. I mean, a radish is just a bulb. You could probably move it. Just it matures so fast. I don't know if I would get it moved in time. Yeah. Yeah. I made a note. Uh, the one that I wouldn't try would be cilantro. Uh, just because I seem to stress it out by looking at it the wrong way some days. Um, so, yeah. I stopped trying to grow my own cilantro. It's like impossible. And then you cut it and you pretty much have to reseed it every time. It's not, it doesn't really come back like they say it will. Yeah. It's so, and I'm just like, oh gosh, I'll just buy cilantro. <laughs> it's fine. Somebody else can grow this for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other crops too, like we're kind of discussing that um, are easily stressed and transplanting, especially you have to remove it from its current container and then kind of disturb the roots ever so subtly so it'll do well when you transplant. I mean, it just, some plants are finicky and yeah. it makes sense, yeah. so. Okay, so with all of these different types of things, how do you choose when to start them? There, thankfully, in the digital age, there are all sorts of seed starting guides online. Uh, I did a little bit of perusing here over the last few days. Um, most of them seem pretty applicable to the Midwest, um, generally speaking. But Community Crops, who I'd mentioned earlier, I believe it's on their Education Resources tab, has a Midwest one. Um, and again, it's basically just taking information that's normally on the back of the seed packet and putting that out in somewhat of a Excel spreadsheet. So it's pretty handy. Um, yeah, pretty handy to do, I suppose. So some of you may remember in our tech episode that we did, I think it was in the fall, um, we had an app that we tested out to plan your garden, your vegetable garden, and it would give you, give you push reminders of when to start your seeds. If you put all the information in and planned your garden and your zone and all of that stuff, um, I was going to do that. <laughs> it seems like a lot of work. I didn't get around to actually. Every year, that that break between Christmas and New Year's is shorter and shorter, I swear. <laughs> fuller and fuller. I was going to do it then, plan out my whole vegetable garden and put in everything that I wanted to grow and all that stuff so that I would have reminders because spring is so busy for me. But I forgot to do it. So if anybody tested that app, and it's sending you reminders now to start those seeds. Let us know, because I would like to know how it worked out. And that could be an interesting way to do it, too. It absolutely could be. I would, as we're saying, you know, this is a bit of a false spring. Um, unless that app is tied to, like, local weather conditions, it may say, like, go for it. Throw out warm season stuff. And, yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not there yet, folks. Uh, but, I mean, that is interesting. And it gets... To be a lot to manage you know when you're talking about preparing your outdoor garden versus what you're starting indoor when you need to transplant um, something we will talk about is hardening off which is a very uh, critical component of seed starting indoors but i went old school and took a piece of graph paper and wrote down basically all the common seeds and herbs that i would come across and just wrote down the information from the back of the seed packet and then slowly pieced it together 
and and then I laminated it because that's how I do things. <laughs> I love laminated things. Yeah, and then uh, you can take a little Sharpie or dry erase, excuse me, and um, go ahead and make some notes on there. And then if you really enjoy gardening, you'll find yourself wanting to remember the tidbits along the way, and you'll find some way to keep a journal or something. But Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if you keep a garden journal. I do, yeah. yeah. And there's just so much variation from year to year. Um, you know, I've heard of and come across other people who record all sorts of weather and climatic mm-hmm. conditions from the season. Um, I don't get that intense, but I do kind of monitor soil temperature because that'll ultimately dictate when certain seeds can go out and actually germinate. So um, I do. Yeah. yeah. I found I keep somewhat of a journal, too, but it's mostly just did I like that plant or did we not like that? You know, because you forget you go shopping for seeds and there's 500 kinds of lettuce. (laughs) So I keep those notes. I found it kind of unhelpful to keep timing notes unless you're just interested in looking back because it's all based on how, you know, when we're warming up and when your soil's warming up and that is different. Um, And I just... So most seed packets that I read the back of this year, all they're based on, they say like, oh, two to four weeks before the last frost. And our last frost could be any of six weeks. Right. (laughs) Um, But I learned that the Farmer's Almanac puts out a regional prediction for that. If you have online, it's not in the book. Um, So if you're just really worried about that, you might try... uh, checking the farmer's almanac's prediction Mm -hmm. they'll predict the last frost um that's in the book they'll predict the last frost it is a prediction so it's a guess just like anybody else's um just more educated one than mine probably but then online you can find you can go green beans when to sow in it's just a region so i think we're grouped with uh south dakota and wyoming and maybe colorado i'm not sure i think eastern colorado we're grouped in a group there and it'll just say, you know, green beans, you could sow these two weeks for harvest in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And yeah, it's a really great point. I mean, things are not apples to apples when you talk about year to year growing conditions. Um, Even some of these seed companies, I don't know if uh, the jalapeno gate or whatever that was last year (laughs) came across where people ended up with like banana peppers instead of jalapeno, something like that. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of variation, long-winded way of saying. So yeah. I always kind of go by what my grandma and, of course, my mom practice, which is um, if you're going to start certain seeds, your first batch will be around Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Then your second batch, which would probably be somewhere in that six to eight week, um, again, referencing the back of the seed packet here. But uh, some tomatoes, eggplants, things like that, they recommend six to eight weeks. That's about the second week of March. And then you really don't want to set things out or transplant before Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And again, these are just indicators, benchmarks. You know, it is not impossible to have a freeze after Mother's Day. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, you should give yourself a buffer, um, both with what you start indoors and when you kind of get to that hardening off and transplanting. I mean, it can be a couple weeks either way. Um, so. There's some things that you'll learn in this uh, glorious journey that is seed starting. (laughs) Okay, so I think we're ready to get into what is your setup? How do you get this going, I guess? Yes. Oh, gosh. I was kind of dreading this question. (laughs) 
um, only because, you know, you want to take that enthusiasm that you have to say, start seeds inside. And that can be, you know, putting them next to a south facing window, making sure that they're getting some heat, um, even if that's just kind of through natural sunlight. Uh, then you'll see some things germinate and it's like the little science project you did in school and everyone's super ecstatic, giving high fives, and then things start to go south. Uh, vegetables are pretty finicky, you know, uh, very robust, very hardy, but in that seedling stage, pretty finicky. So I dreaded this question because I want people to kind of harness that natural enthusiasm for gardening, but I would recommend setting yourself up for success a little bit more. So just putting some seeds in a window, will they germinate? Yes. Um, I think most people start with tomatoes or peppers. Um, so yes, they'll germinate. Yes, they'll look super cute for like a week. And then you'll start, yeah, you'll see them get really what they call leggy, which is almost like spindly. You know, they might be six to eight inches with just one to two set of leaves on there. And you're like, wow, I've never seen a tomato plant grow like this or look like this. Well, um, that's typically, both soil temperature and the lack of sunlight, or um, in our case, like growing light. So for me, I have a list of six, count them, six must-haves for your uh, seed starting endeavor. So of course the first one, and I've got some options too for folks on a budget here. So uh, you're gonna want a receptacle, you're gonna need soil, you're gonna need some way to increase humidity you're gonna need supplemental lights, you're gonna need a basic fertilizer, and then you're gonna need a spray bottle. So that's that's six, pretty basic. So for your receptacle, gosh, anything that holds soil, what about work? So I think they're called 10 by 20 flats. They're kind of like rectangular. They're the ones you can get at any garden store. They're pretty flimsy. Um, I think they're made out of recycled plastic, but if you buy, they may go for like 75 cents to a buck a piece. Use like three uh, for one growing, just stack them on top of each other. Um, that'll give you a lot of rigidity where you can hold a lot of soil in there and you shouldn't have any issues. This is the funniest step to me because it's the most overthought step in any garden center. You can go online and buy a hundred different kinds of things to hold the soil for oh, your yeah. plant. And it's also, I'm not gonna say it's the least important because you need something to hold your plant, but uh, if you were going to choose complicatedness in the pot or the light, <laughs> the, the light the light matters yeah. a lot more. It the, does. the receptacle there's I mean there's systems with lids and pots and and soil square smashers and yeah. you just need something <laughs> to hold the soil and the seed. Yes, yeah, and that's a great point. Um, ultimately, you're going to be transplanting these things into your garden anyway. Um, maybe some herbs you might leave potted up or something like that. But yeah, temporary home. No need to spend the farm uh, just getting that situated. But for folks who are kind of DIY, I did this a couple winters. Um, I'm sure just a quick Google of paper pots. Mm -hmm. You know, you take soy-based ink from a typical newspaper. I think it's the non-glossy kind. Um, take a tomato can and basically use that as your mold and you fold it in there. And I grew spinach, several flats of it um, over the winter with just some supplemental light and kind of, I guess it's not truly hydroponic, but um, just using that as like a grow station to harvest from. So that's super cheap uh, when it's cold. Obviously it's pretty nice to do, it's getting warmer. So you might want to hustle if you're gonna be <laughs> making your own pots. But 
So uh, that's kind of the first phase. Then the growing medium, which we'll get in here in looks like in the next question, but uh, you're gonna need some soil, right? And again, because this is a temporary home, um, it's not the same as a true topsoil, which is something you might see bagged at a garden center. Um, there's topsoil, there's garden soil, there's potting soil. I'm sure either of you can suggest other ones that I don't even know anything about. Um, we get a lot of people who think compost is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Like compost. Yeah. Yeah. So really for what I've noted too, um, again, I want to give another shout out to Community Crops because I got this information from their workshops. Um, so keep an eye on them if you're interested in additional garden resources. But so your growing medium does have to have a couple components. So there needs to be some nutrition, there needs to be some water retention, and then there needs to be some drainage capacity. I know that sounds counterintuitive that you want water, but you wanna shed water. Um, that's just how it is. And there's a whole nother list of reasons, soil disease and so forth that we won't go into, but you're gonna want something that is I mean, they call it disease-free. I haven't had that issue personally, but I do see the value in getting, they'll call it pasteurized or sterilized um, compost soil and so on. Again, for the hobbyist slash cheap person listening, that's me as well, a simple thing that you could do if you're in the Lincoln area or if they have this program kind of in your community is a lot of municipalities are now creating their own compost. Um, I think Lincoln's used to be called Lingro. Um, okay, so that's free at the Waste Transfer Center, which is 40, 48th, North 48th? Yeah, it's North 48th and Cornhusker, basically. Okay. It'll get you there, yeah. Yeah, and uh, available online. So you can go for free, pick up compost. Um, so that would be your nutrient value. So then we wanna talk about a little water holding capacity. You can go buy peat moss. That's often um, a heavy component in most potting soils. What I've found and had great success with, if you can find a tree that's decayed, mm -hmm. dead and down, mind you, we're not trying to rip out live trees here, uh, <laughs> you'll find a stump and you'll be able to tell if you go grab it and you know it breaks off real readily and it almost has a squishiness to it. Um, that basically is in the early stages of forming peat, very early stages, mind you, but <laughs> that works just as well. You can take that, rub it between your hands, and it'll break off in nice uniform pieces, and you'll get that water retention capacity. So that's on the cheap, and I'm sure in some parks and stuff, they would love to have the extra help cleaning up some of that dead down stuff. So then the third component, which is typically vermiculite, I think pyrolite, if I'm saying that correctly, is another one. Again, those cost money what you can do is use sand. Mm -hmm. um, and this is my second year using sand that I've locally sourced, but I'm not gonna tell you exactly <laughs> where from. Uh, but again, it's a modest amount, right? So you're taking a couple gallons, depending on how much you're gonna start indoors. Um, again, you know, you're not trying to really over extract any of these resources, you're taking what you need, um, and it goes a long way. So. From those three, the compost that I got at the transfer center, the dead down that I found in my uh, sojourns around town, and the sand, um, other than the gas going to get the compost, the rest of the stuff costs next to nothing. And that started, I think, over a thousand plants last year, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it really can add up to some substantial cost savings. And then if you're 
kind of repurposing your receptacles. Um, so it doesn't have to be cost prohibitive, I guess is why I bring that up. Yeah, because potting soil at the store is getting more and more expensive. I mix my own. I just order a bale of peat in and get compost and... I locally sourced my sand from our sandbox. There you go. <laughs> which my husband helpfully refills. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so that's where I get mine. Um, and I use that in all of our pots. And it's worked well for seed starting. The only problem I've ever run into buying potting soil, because, I mean, there's going to be plenty of you that, that that's what you choose to do, um, is large particles are really frustrating when you start seed. So, um I cheat. We st- I start my seedlings in the greenhouse, like I said, and that's the easiest growing condition, but we just use the potting soil we use for all the larger plants, and it comes with some larger chunks of bark and stuff, um, and I just sift that through my fingers, because those chunks, when you're trying to plant your seeds a quarter of an inch deep, or if you're trying to transplant, and now that piece of bark is woven through the roots, are really frustrating. So that's the only, like problem I've ever run into in any kind of soil I've tried to use hmm. for seed starting. And I haven't, the only disease problems I've ever had are because I overwatered. So okay, cool. <laughs> that's not the soil's fault. Yeah. Because um, moisture controls hard when the plant doesn't have very much fruits. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a great point with soil moisture. Also, humidity can be a problem when things are waterlogged. But yeah, same with you, Sarah. I have not personally had that problem, but I'm very cognizant of it. I hear a lot about it, but I've never experienced it. And so I think, yeah, knock on wood, it could. (laughs) I'm guessing it comes up when you reuse soil a lot. When I transplant anything that comes off goes in my compost pile to spend some time. Yeah. on its own um, so that if there's anything in there I'm not just immediately putting it back on new seedlings or something but okay. you hear about it all the time people running into I think it's when you have the same crop over and over again with the same set of soil Okay. Um, but hopefully we keep being not having problems so yeah and just making sure uh, you've got good air circulation you're not overwatering. I mean all the things that apply to I would say like other types of gardening. I mean, it's all gardening to me, but non-vegetable production, uh, they apply to vegetables as well. You know, you want to water right place, right time, that sort of thing. So you said earlier, you know, most of this is like starting in a basement, a dark, dank basement, right? Yes. So how do you keep it warm enough? Uh, yeah. Wow. Good, good question. And a basic one too. So basements are going to be somewhat temperature controlled, which is nice, but that temperature hangs around, you know, 55 degrees thereabouts. Um, so there are some value adding purchases that you can make, you know, after you kind of get the hang of it, which would be heat mats, uh, for some warm season crops, um, I'm thinking eggplant, um, stevia, if you have grown that herb before, they need high temperatures for germination. They like to be, I guess, hanging out at high temps. So over the years, I added growing mats, which you know are probably 50 to 60 bucks um, per mat. And of course, they have all sorts of variations there too, where they can be pretty um, cost prohibitive. So that's one way. 
A second is I tend to keep most of my, I use those rectangular flats as I'd mentioned. I tend to keep those covered, you know, for like maybe a quarter or 30 some cents. You can buy a lid to these, which is kind of your, your humidity control to begin with. Um, I keep that just cracked a couple inches in one corner that allows some air to circulate. Um, it also helps retain heat as the plants are respirating. Um, and then of course your grow lights. LED lights are pretty phenomenal. I can't really recall how much I've spent over the years, but they haven't gone bad. And this is, you know, seven or eight years growing indoors. Um, they produce a little heat, not the same as maybe a fluorescent, mm -hmm. which would have provided a lot of that supplemental heat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, basically other than the growing mats, which is really just for warm season or finicky plants, um, you're generally okay, I've found. Yeah, I've stuck to fluorescent lights when I've done grow lights because I had them, but also because they do make a little bit of heat. And light has been the trickiest thing for me when I do try to start seeds at home is you can have too much of it <laughs> and you can have it too much from one direction. Right. Because I always, I mean, a south facing window, that's great. My south facing window cooks things, literally, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, so I can't do anything in my south facing window. Except cacti, okay, <laughs> which wow. is really interesting, and I don't know if it's the angle of the sun. We do have an old house, and I found out we have like the not filtered windows, oh, there which you I go. think is part of it. Um, but on the other hand, my father-in-law starts all of his tomatoes and peppers in Dixie cups in the window. Nothing else. No supplemental light. No supplemental light. Of course, he turns them every day. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, so they don't, you know, start leaning one way. Right. Um, I don't know how. They're the most beautiful tomatoes I've ever seen. I think there's a skill level there that I have not achieved. Yeah, and this is probably the one of the biggest things about gardening that I've found. Um, you ask six people, you get seven different ways to do it. Um, they're really... There's some loose guidelines, but everyone has found a way that works for them. Um, I would encourage you to do the same in your journey. Do some reading, ask some people, and find a technique that works for you. Mm -hmm. uh, because, yes, just with a little rotation of the Dixie cup, you can produce beautiful tomatoes. Um, if I tried to put lamps that had any heat, then my cat would just sleep under them, and then my plants would be flattened <laughs> because she does that to the tortoise. She pushes the tortoise out of the heat lamp and lays in the spot instead. That's that's a really great point. Um, those heat mats that I mentioned, those are cat magnets. Yep. Uh, my cat lays under those. And, you know, these LEDs, um, they're not really to be viewed without some sort of glasses, some safety protection. This cat goes right underneath there and will bake, you know, at like a 160 all day. And I'm like, this, you're, you're going to blind yourself. This can't be good. Um, yes, these cats are crazy. I got, I got her heat mats, um, pet, pet safe ones to keep her out of the, well, long story short, she was catching on fire. <laughs> she was sitting oh, in front of the heat. She has some missing fur patches. So we've been trying to come up with other things to That'll keep her back. It, it's, gr it's growing back slowly. <laughs> we were more worried she would catch on fire and then spread it through the house. <laughs> yes. So that would be a problem. Anyways, what are, what are we on to next? <laughs> Can I make uh, one yeah, more uh, for it. comment here? So the lights are worth doing some additional homework on. Say, I think, Sarah, I started with you. I had some fluorescent lights. Um, you're going to need to put them typically like two to three inches away, depending on the wattage. Mm -hmm. 
So just look into that a little bit. Certainly don't go out and buy uh, the cat's pajamas of lights, not necessary. Uh, give yourself a year if this is your first time, see how things go and then kind of update accordingly. But those lights will have to be very close if they're low intensity or low wattage. I shouldn't probably say this, but there's lots of, I mean, most seed starting is things we've come up with, right? When I still did mine at home, I used literally a garage fluorescent light that you hang in your garage. And I had it on a Christmas tree timer. Perfect. <laughs> so the time is important because if you forget that light on or forget that light off, it's doing damage or it's not helping. Yep. Um, but if I was going to spend money on any part of seed starting, it would be the lights. Yep. Yeah, and that timer, again, is critical. Um, some plants like, you know, 12 to 16 hours. Some are more in that 8 to 10. You can find a happy medium. But if you leave it on 24-7, imagine yourself trying to sleep under constant light. It wouldn't go very well. Plants are the same. So, yes, lights are super important. Then the other thing with that nutrient um, – Again, this might be a little bit in the weeds, but you're looking for something that's pretty generic. So you add the compost to your soil medium. You want your plants to have something when they leaf out to access, but you'll need to be adding that nutrient shortly thereafter. Um, just a 10-10-10, so that's nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. You'll see it labeled as uh, NPK. Uh, that's a pretty low intensity. That's been more than enough in the things that I've grown um, for weeks at a time if they're in a receptacle. So is that the spot where you think most people kind of deviate? Like you said, you can usually get something to grow and then it looks really cute and then it goes downhill. Is that the key? Uh, light tends and to be light. the okay. first one. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see plants get spindly, but they still look green. And then if you start noticing the foliage getting yellow, then it's lacking nutrients. Um, and you can still bring plants out of that. I've been pretty surprised with just a quick water-soluble fertilizer. Um, they'll figure it out pretty quickly, but without that nutrient, um, they're yeah they're pretty much done after three to four weeks. I found if I don't bring them out of that before I try to transplant, then you end up with a lot of transplant problems. Good point. Personally, and that's probably because once things leave my house, they get a lot less care than they got <laughs> inside the house. Right. Yeah. yeah, and it's setting things up for success, right? So if things are going into your garden stressed, they're likely going to be stressed once, you know, climatic conditions and weather conditions take over. Um, and that can obviously affect overall production. Some plants will be like, oh, I've had a great growing season. I'm all stressed out now. Time to produce seed. And you'll be like, I got no crop at all. So that's a great point. Definitely you can run into that. So I think that provides us with a natural kind of next, which is how do you move them outside? Yes, the hardening <laughs> off point. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's tough, folks, let me tell you. Just because if you're growing them, say, in a basement, um, you're going to be taking whatever you're growing them in upside, upstairs, outside. So hardening off is really just a cutesy term for exposing them to the elements. So when I think of hardening off, it's exposing them to wind, uh, some to, to some temperature changes, um, and then direct sunlight. So it would be nice if you could take this wonderful thing from your basement and just put it outside, let it hang for a couple days, and then boom, into the garden, everyone's great. Uh, you'll come back and there may not even be a plant there. It will be vaporized. Uh, they have to be hardened off. And that process 
takes some time, especially if you have to move them indoors, outdoors. What I have found, the hardening off process, I do it in two phases. So the first is I get a fan when they're inside and it has gone a long way. I can't remember who told this to me, obviously someone did. Um, when your plants are growing, say tomatoes, you know, you're six weeks in, they're probably six to eight inches high, they're developing some canopy um, and they're growing straight up, hopefully. So, I mean, that's great. But what happens when they get moved outside? You know, it's windy to boot here and they just get whipped around like crazy. They have no rigidity. So as they get out of that seedling stage, as I mean, they're probably in their fourth, fifth, sixth set of leaves, depending on what you're growing, you slowly add a fan to them. And all that does, that subtle vibration just triggers the plant to form a more robust stock. So that's what I do for the wind. That is brilliant. Someone told me this. That I did not really, come up with really this. That is really, really smart and so easy. <laughs> and it can control if you're having some dampening off issues. You can dry your soil out that way. It really has been pretty clutch. Um, the second thing that I have not cracked or no one shared information with me is replicating that exposure to sunlight. Mm -hmm. That tends to really stress. I can't think of a plant that I've started indoors that actually could handle that direct exposure. They have to be protected. They have to be exposed gradually. Um, I found some shade cloth. That's what I do. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say, I've found, I have a little raised bed and we built a curved frame over it that we keep shade cloth on um, later in the summer to keep our lettuce going. Yeah. And we just buy the white um, that barely filters the light. Okay. That and I just stick my flats right in there for a little while. That is the only way I've found, um, even though they come out of the greenhouse where they are in theory getting full sunlight, the sun combined with the dry outdoor air, it just it's hard, yeah, yeah. And I think it probably took me maybe three or four years before I was around people using shade cloths. Uh, they're yeah, such a versatile tool. Uh, for extending seasons, for protecting plants. So it's definitely worth having in your, your gardening shed. And pretty easy to find, too. Yeah. Like, you, you can find shade cloth anywhere. Yeah, I've even found the one that I use now is a 4x8, uh, we'll, we'll call it a tarp. Uh, <laughs> this is a tarp that I found at Goodwill for, like, 5 bucks, um, And it's yeah. just, it has some perforations, and it functions the same as shade cloth. And it's been great. That, yeah, that's interesting. I did buy a big roll of the white okay. shade cloth. I'm used to buying fabric, so buying like these four-foot pieces <laughs> was like driving me crazy at the garden center. So I just ordered a bolt of it. Yeah. <laughs> it came like fabric Perfect. on a bolt. But before that, in an emergency, I used a tea towel, like an old, thin, white uh, okay. tea towel just from my kitchen yeah. um, that had been washed enough that it was getting thinner. Yeah. Um, and... It was maybe, it's let less sun through, but it still let some through, and it let the wind through. Okay. Uh, but I think the fan is an idea I'm going to add, because that that was what I struggled with, was the sun plus the wind. And if I can take care of one, the other gets easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And for... The sun, say you're not really in a good spot. And I mean, that's what gets complicated, right? Is where you're having to move plants indoors, outdoors, back and forth. Uh, potentially, I think like internet recommendations might be two weeks. 
where you're supposed to gradually work up from an hour exposure a day to six hours. Um, These people have way too much time on I know. Hands. Yeah, yeah, it is. It takes a lot. And I mean, there's things you want to do before work. If you're going to get into that, add moving your plants outside to play for the day to the list. But I mean, some easy ways around that would be, you know, if you're using the fan, you got them somewhat tolerating wind. Um, and if you have a 100% shaded spot, that's a good way just to get them out, hanging out, living life. Um, it should make that transition a little bit easier. But just, yeah, look for little shortcuts like that. There's shortcuts all over the place when it comes to gardening and seed starting. If you can tell, I don't do a lot of seed starting, so I have had nothing to add to this conversation. But you could also just do what I do, which is the easiest thing, and that is to just take whatever Bob and Sarah don't want. <laughs> and that's what I plant in my garden. <laughs> which is, yeah, it's great. I feel like I made some new uh, friends with the neighbors when we were giving away plants last year, because there's always extra. Yeah. Another shortcut I've taken is an open window. So when we start having days that are nice enough to open windows in our house, um, and if you feel comfortable, I live in a pretty small town. I leave my windows open when I leave for work. I, it, some people don't feel comfortable with that, but I just leave the window open all day. Yeah. And then they're still inside for that cold night, and yeah. I never had to move them. And I, I brought that up because I'm interested this year. We have our brand new greenhouse and we shifted to roll up sides okay. for a temperature control. And I think that's going to provide pretty much my hardening off. Yeah. If I think about it. So, yeah, that could really expedite my process. Yes. Yeah. And again, you're going to find like cold frames can be used uh, for a similar type of function. Uh, but then you need to watch cooking if it gets too hot. Uh, so anyway, yeah, if you're going to start indoors, I'd say just a real napkin recommendation is plan for at least seven to 10 days of hardening off and how you do that, you know, use your best judgment, but they will need to be um, acclimatized. Is that the right word we're looking for there? Um, acclimated to uh, the great outdoors. Um, and especially if you've put in weeks of nurturing this little thing, you don't want it to have a bad time. Sarah, is that why you put in those roll-up walls onto the greenhouse for your own hardening off? Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) I picked those because I was tired of listening to those stinking fans (laughs) all day long. But um, I don't, I think we picked them because they could be open all summer, but I'm I'm feeling like I'm going to benefit heavily from these walls. Yeah. Are they on timers and? No, they are manual. Yeah, they're hand crank, and and they've shown themselves to be a little difficult with the deep cold, Mm -hmm. um, because they don't seal to the to the ends. Right. Um, They didn't come with any way to do that. So. Okay. I think Bob's still trying to get a creative solution. Yeah, uh, we we could talk yeah, after this. Yeah, I think he could. He would, he was telling me some of the advice he's gotten and is thinking through, but I think okay. he'd take more because it is an interesting situation. You can't permanently seal it, or you could not roll the wall in the spring. Right. Uh, but you know, last night when it got cold suddenly after a bunch of warm, I think he went out with a bunch of clamps and tried and clamped it down a little bit, and it helped. That was my idea. <laughs> oh, I, I did, guess we don't need to talk. It did anymore. help. It did help. <laughs> yeah. All right. So maybe let's talk about what are some of the coolest things you've been able to seed start or just weird, I guess, whatever route you want to take that and what (laughs) has not gone well. (laughs) Well, year one, I would venture to guess that all did not go well. (laughs) 
Um, my mother, uh, what a gem, gave me some little greenhouse, like better home and garden thing that someone gave her like before I was born. Started with that. Um, again, it looked very cute. Looked like a little green, little greenhouse had a humidity tent. Uh, didn't understand lighting at all. Um, yeah, there was all sorts of dampening off issues, which is basically like weak stem, plant died. Uh, oh gosh, I don't even know if I moved any plants outdoors that first year. Uh, so uh, that would be, yeah. Per- those years. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it happens, you know, you get busy and that's one more thing you got to look after, but that was year one and oh wow have we come a long way so probably the most difficult thing that i'm doing now and again i don't find it terribly difficult it's just time um time sensitive so like parsley can take up to three weeks to germinate Mm -hmm. Um, that's a little more finicky on the temp side so that i think i've got set up at maybe like 55 degrees and then at about 10 days i'll increase it to about 70 degrees and then it'll flush out or germinate thereafter so that one's always kind of interesting once you like figure out how to do it then you know it's like setting your watch you know no big deal Um, rosemary is one that i particularly took pride in because everything every seed pack it's like so hard to start inside can't do it and uh yeah then why are they selling the seed i don't know (laughs) yeah because direct sowing can be pretty problematic without like yeah Mm -hmm. irrigation of some sort and again on a timer but (laughs) here's your seed you can't grow it (laughs) yeah basically well challenge accepted uh yeah and that's always fun you know rosemary is a nice gift to give to people because it takes you know to get a good plant several years um and they're pretty low maintenance once they're started so i tend to give those away uh, every year. And then stevia was one, um, I'm not sure if that's truly a tropical plant or a tropical type environment, but really likes warm soil temperatures to germinate, likes to be kept at very warm temperatures. And another one that it was just such a foreign type plant, I guess at the time, um, I'd never been around it. So I kind of found that one to be unique, but it, again, it's not hard. Yeah. I've, yeah, parsley always challenges me because I, f- I forget that how long it is and I want to th- toss it and say oh that flat didn't work right um and i have to set it aside and just forget it while the while i transplant everything else uh for me the most challenging things consistently are anything that say needs light to germinate okay <laughs> because your watering plants um we do have some prairie plants like that but i was thinking veg i was so i'm trying chamomile this year okay and cool. then there's a head lettuce that i really like that needs surface sown until yeah. it germinates and that's fine for sowing, but it's really hard to water. Yeah. Because um, my usual, I usually put vermiculite on top to keep from having any puddling when I water. You can't do that. Yeah. And you can't water so heavily that they get um, pushed down into the soil. So I, you really can just mist them. That's all you can do to water for a couple days until they, at right. least you get that crust over the soil. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Um, but then once they start growing, they're fine. But that society garlic that I've been talking about all year, I have it right here. This stuff took forever to germinate. I think it doesn't say how long it takes, but I think it took two weeks. Oh, yeah, 14 to 21 days. Hmm. Um, and then once it germinates, it grows at like so inch, slow inch a year yes <laughs> so i started some of this in the fall in under grow lights at home 
and it still has one leaf for each plant. Wow. <laughs> they are getting thicker, okay. <laughs> but there is still only one. So I did sow some in the greenhouse this morning to see if that would improve their life. Um, yeah, I still have man. not gotten to try and eat this yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're seven months in. Sarah has been talking about the society garlic for so long, and I wanted to ask if you had ever grown any. I have never even heard of this. Um, Supposedly, it's a garlic tasting grass from Africa that you can keep as a window plant for the winter. So while you're not getting fresh garlic, you can okay. have that. Um, it is becoming a challenge that I will not give up on <laughs> because it's I've I have a lot of time invested into this silly plant. It sounds like it. Yeah. A lot of so time. we'll see. <laughs> I'm just determined to grow one plant to fill a pot and then I might never grow it again. <laughs> I wish you nothing but success, Sarah. Wow. Yeah, no, I've never heard of this. It looks pretty interesting yeah. though. Want some seeds? <laughs> I don't know if I want any more. I'm not sure. No. Wow, yeah. I might want to learn from you first before I try that. It's so fun. Every time you say society garlic, it reminds me of Bridgerton. And just this, yeah, like tea and stuff. I don't know. Society. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a lot of really good information about seed starting. I think, I think. We kind of gave everybody what they need to get started, but the overall message is, you know, keep those six key things in mind, and then you're just going to have to try it and see what works for you, and don't get discouraged. I think it's good that you said that first year you weren't maybe didn't get anything outside, and if that happens to you, don't give up. Try it again. Well, the benefit of seed starting, you do it early enough that if it all goes terribly, uh, you can just put the seeds out in the garden mm -hmm. and you'll just have later produce, but you'll still have produce. Or you can have some pretty nice compost. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> self-grown, self-sourced. Yeah, is there uh, the ability to add some resources to your... Yes, we can put those in the show notes. Okay, mm -hmm. so I did include where some of my uh, setup is currently. Like, there's a... Yeah, anyway, I can add some That'd notes to that. A little bit. <laughs> Pretty common feature in today's blog, blog world, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, if that's helpful. And then I think I'd mentioned to uh, Community Crops, their education resource tab. Uh, we're just going to miss it. But in the winter, all through the spring, all sorts of classes um, all around the Lincoln area. They may venture into some of the other communities around town, but definitely worth checking out. They're a great resource. All right, it's time for our favorite of this week and every week. And Sarah is covering her eyes because she forgot what I was going to toss it to her for her plant of the week. So I guess I have to do it instead. Yay. <laughs> okay. My plant of the week this week, it's still, you know, we're at the end of February. Leap day is tomorrow. That's exciting. So it's still an indoor plant for me. And... I think I'm going to go with my um, aloe that I have in my window here in my office because once you get aloe going, I don't think you can ever stop it. That is my, my opinion. This thing is in the tiniest little cup and I started it as a, a transplant from one at home because that got too big for its pot and now it's like four plants that are about to make the pot fall over. So wow. it just keeps going. 
and it's going to be time to transplant it. And I'm sure some of those will go into the the community room here that we use then to hand out to students at back to school in August. So I've often heard aloe called the green monster uh, in its pot because they almost always end up overgrown. Yes. And I have told Bob to stop ordering it, but he just keeps bringing it. (laughs) I don't know. And then people don't want it. And I said, they don't want it because they have it (laughs) or their friend has it or everyone has it. But, uh, you know, I guess people need new plants every now and then. Yes. The greenhouse that we used to use, we shared with um, some agroforesters, and they had aloe in a two-gallon tree pot. And, you know, the, the three holes along the bottom edge, it was coming out and growing green leaves out of those holes. And wow. I don't know that there was any soil in that pot. <laughs> That's the way my jade is, too. I went to transplant some of it the other day, and I was like, there's no soil in here. (laughs) It is just sustaining itself. I don't know what's happening. Hmm. But anyways. All right. Kyle, do you want to tell us your plant of the week? Uh, Sorry, Sarah. Mine is hard deck garlic. Um, Yeah, so just from a bulb. And the reason for me it's my favorite plant is it's often one of the last things, if not the last thing, to go into the garden. Um, And you're planting cloves, or at least I'm planting cloves. And it's often the first thing to come up. Mm -hmm. So you plant it in the fall. Uh, I can't remember what the overwintering term is, fertilization maybe. Um, And then it uh, comes back up early spring. And then you can start doing little clips of the garlic tops. And you can start adding them to salads and all that stuff. But what I really as well enjoy is the garlic variety that I have This is going to be full circle because I'm a nerd and keep track of these things. So this variety was stewarded by Bob Steffen. He was a founding member of the Nebraska Sustainable Ag Society. He passed it to Rebecca Rebecca Bloom, who I believe was running a business called Bloom Organics. She passed it to Betsy Samuelson, who was another farmer at the Community Crops Plot, who passed it to me. And then I've since given it to my family, friends, and anyone else who will take it. So... uh, (laughs) Anyway, it's just it's uh, indicative of spring. The way daffodils come up, garlic is typically or preceding that. So, um, yeah, that's my favorite plant. Okay, now I have a question for you because I planted my first hard nut garlic last in this fall. Yeah. So, the it came with the instructions to make sure you kept some mulch over it so it wouldn't come up too early to keep the soil temperature low. Maybe I don't have to worry about that at this point in the year. Should I start pulling that back? And letting it come up or just let it do its thing? Yeah. Uh, once it started to poke up, mm-hmm. I would pull it off. Okay. And but wait until it starts. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then really, like, putting it back on is just moisture control mm-hmm. and weed control thereafter. Okay. But. I was worried about, when you said that, I was then worried about slowing it down too much, but... It's pretty, pretty it's hard. It's pretty going to do what it's going to do. Yeah, okay. as long as, I mean, you'd have to have inches, you know, to really... I probably have two inches, th- okay. maybe three. Yeah. Yeah. Not horribly. It's not a foot of mulch yeah. or anything. Well, I mean, when you uh, peel back a little mm-hmm. bit just to see how they're doing, if you've noticed that they're starting to break that surface, you just could... give them a little air. Yep. Give them a little breathing That room. is very helpful because this is the first time I've tried garlic and I'm really excited. Two kinds of garlic, apparently, <laughs> at once, but I'm very excited about growing garlic. Okay. Well, then we have to mention the scape. Yes. You are aware. I got some from a farmer's market okay. stall last year. Um, he had so many, he basically was 
pushing them on anybody who was buying other things. Wow. And they were very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, escapes uh, just real quick here. So uh, garlic tends to be a biannual, meaning that it'll focus on the bulb production, throw up a seed stock, and then you can harvest that seed, replant that, or you can come back and plant individual cloves, which is what most people tend to do. But uh, it tends to be a biannual plant. When it sends up that stock, the scape, uh, that's very sought after in the culinary circles that I don't travel in, but I've heard great things. <laughs> uh, leeks do the same thing. They'll throw up a scape. Um, it's edible. You can make pesto. You can saute it. Uh, it's super versatile, real mild garlic flavor, and it really is the treat. So that'll typically set in early July, I want to say, okay. late June, something like that. I didn't really know. I did not use them to their full culinary benefit because I didn't really know. I just sautéed them and we had them with some eggs or something, I think. That's but they were very perfect. good. Yeah, they are. Deceptively good. And I think if you're going to focus on garlic production, maybe you can invite me back. We can talk about this. <laughs> uh, you just Yeah, you snap those off um, so the plant isn't fooled into I guess spending all its resources on producing seed, it will redirect those into forming large garlic cloves. But um, lots of information on the internet about that. Yeah. All right, Sarah, what's your plant? I did think of one. Bob reminded me of it a little earlier today. I have been trying very hard to get a lavender plant to survive the winter. I tried in the office. I've tried at home. It's been hard. Um, it's never lived in my garden, so I gave up on that. I took it to the shade house this year where we overwinter trees, so we drop it to just above freezing um, all winter, and it is still alive. Okay. It is not that late. It still has time to die, but so far, <laughs> it is still alive. <laughs> it's got a couple of months still yeah. before you're going to pull it out there. So, Well, I hope it goes well for you, Sarah. Yeah, I agreed. wish you luck. <laughs> yeah. Keep me posted. I've never been able to. I've grown those from seed, which is also very finicky, yeah. and never had them flower. Oh, yeah. it didn't flower last year. Mm -mm. Okay. So I was hoping that a second year plant. Okay. I should probably say that. This one never flowered for me last year. It's in a bucket, maybe a foot diameter bucket, and it grew a good sized plant, but it never flowered. And okay. so I'm that's why I was trying to get to a second year plant. I was hoping. And flower that it would flower for me but it's hard to get to a second year plant with lavender because it doesn't like being inside and it doesn't like being outside hmm. all right we'll leave that gardening conundrum with all of you <laughs> have fun with it thank you for being here kyle we appreciate it so much yes it's very good to see you both yes you provided a lot of great information so thank you um all right everybody well don't forget to send us your questions you can do that online plantnebraska.org anytime you can send us voicemails emails smoke signals whatever you want to do we'll do our best to uh answer those and um don't forget that Spring Affair is coming up. Log in, get your Spring Affair tickets, your preview party tickets. Uh, but you can also just come and join us on the Friday or Saturday, the last weekend in April, to buy those plants without getting tickets, free and open to everybody. You can find all of that information at plantnebraska.org as well, as well as membership information, because if you're going to come to Spring Affair, you might as well have a membership. We would love to have you join us. Thank you for listening. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Mm -hmm.